Hello and welcome to the Life Tools podcast. In school, we learned history and algebra, foreign languages and chemistry, but nobody taught us tools for life. How do we deal with self-doubt? What are beliefs and how do they influence us? How do we find ourselves when we feel lost? And how do we make a healthy decision? Many people learn these things much later in life, after three, four, even five decades of existence, and often the hard way. For a few, like myself, I had to learn them very early. I created this podcast to share with you the tools that have helped me greatly in my own life. They're small actions anybody can take that bring big results over time. Let's get to it. Hello everyone, here we are finally, part one of this series on children that I have decided to include on this podcast. I hesitated in the beginning and wondered if by talking about children here, I was veering away from the topic of life tools, which I define as mindset shifts or pieces of information that if applied to our lives, help us to experience more joy, more peace, more ease. And then I realized that we are, every single one of us, in contact with children. Whether you are a parent, a teacher, a sister or brother, an aunt or uncle, or just a friend of someone who has a child. And if you are in close contact with a small human and you don't have the tools for a harmonious relationship, it could make attaining inner peace really difficult. Also, I truly believe that if we want a future society that is healthy, one of the most impactful actions we can take is to contribute to the well-being of children right now, today. All that to say that these things I will be sharing with you about children are indeed also life tools. So without further ado, let's dive into the topic. To give you a bit of a background, when I started working closely with children several years ago, more specifically during the time I was in the Philippines, I had zero confidence in my ability to keep their attention or to communicate with them effectively or to even be liked by them. I had zero confidence because, well, number one, I'm not a very animated person. If you know me, then you know that I'm reserved, quiet, cannot tell a joke to save my life, have singing phobia, and have low physical energy. You could say grandma material, the very last person you would vote to work with children. My assumption at the time was that to be quote-unquote effective with children, I needed to be a clown. I needed to run around and sing and tell stories in five different voices and be good at pretending to be a lion and a dolphin and a dinosaur and play 15 million rounds of hide-and-seek without getting bored. And, as if that's not enough, I also thought I needed to sing confidently and sing well. In short, I thought I needed serious acting and singing skills and an inexhaustible well of energy, all three of which I did not have. (laughs) So there I was with this job opportunity offered by a family friend, really excited by the idea of doing something different involving human beings, but also absolutely terrified that I was going to completely botch it. Before I met my tootie, who I would later find out was an adorable, whip-smart, tiny two-year-old girl who ran three times faster than me, I called different people to ask them for advice. What should I prepare? What should I do if they are bored? Is it imperative that I sing or can we just please skip that part? How should I talk? Any tips for becoming a fun tutor? What if they hate me? What can I do so they don't hate me? Blah blah blah. Questions stretching to infinity and beyond. I felt so clueless, so unequipped to be working with these precious little humans. 
but I decided in the end I would jump headfirst into it. And then I discovered that I had been wrong. I hadn't been wrong about being grammar material for small children, but I had been wrong that they needed me to be a clown and that this was the only way to their heart. Sure, when you can horse around with children, it's fun for them, but that's not the most important thing for a child's well-being. What is most important for them is love, empathy, complete acceptance, feeling seen and heard, and feeling that they matter. You know how I discovered this? Through experience. It was all I could give them, so it was all I gave them. And they bloomed. And I saw it not with one child, but with child after child that I took care of. In the beginning, I did not understand what was happening. I was very intuitive in my approach, just operating purely from my heart and observing, observing, and observing endlessly. And I know operating from my heart sounds really cheesy, but what I mean by that is that since I didn't and still don't hold any degree in education, I didn't have this list of theories or methods in my head. I didn't look at a child and then mentally rattled off, okay, three years old, normal development says they should have reached this level in motor skills, they should start to have a notion of time, they should begin basic addition, if they can't, attention, it is an early sign of mental retardation. Now, I give these as random examples, but you get what I mean. All I could draw on, all I had, was what I felt was right. I let my feelings guide me. Whatever I did, I did from the perspective of the me that remembered being a child. When things got difficult, I always, always, always first asked, what is going on inside them? What are they feeling? When I was a child and I screamed like this, what was going on inside me? and I let that inform my approach. Now, I'm not saying I did everything perfectly. I certainly made mistakes, but because I was always in observation mode, I learned very quickly from my mistakes and I never repeated them a second time. I learned directly from experience and I learned really fast. So in this series, I will be offering you what I learned. I don't claim to be an expert because there's still so much I don't know and every single day I work to fill in the gaps in my knowledge. I am just someone who's done a few things that worked and is really passionate about this and wants to make these things available to people who might be looking to try a different approach. These will be mostly about principles, which I also consider as pillars because they constitute the foundation of our relationship with children. These pillars will serve to guide your decisions in regards to children. To give you an analogy, think of the fact that the human body needs high-quality food to function well. We all know this. We know that the less refined and the more whole something is, the better. Nowhere on this planet will you find a human being whose body prefers coke to freshly harvested coconut juice. So we can take this fact as a principle. It is a basic truth. Now, when you go buy food and you have 200 choices in front of you and there's all this shiny advertising for this product and fancy packaging for that product and you're pulled in different directions, you can go back to this principle to guide you. The more whole something is, the better. So between real potatoes and Pringles, even if the latest line of Pringles boasts 40% more vitamin A, real potatoes are better. Between local papayas and imported apples, local papayas are better because you know there is no way those apples got to your supermarket shelf without having been sprayed to death with chemicals. Between locally harvested honey and refined white sugar, honey is better. Between fresh fish and frozen fish balls, fresh fish is better. You get the point. 
Once you know the principle, you now have a sort of compass that you can always come back to to help guide your decisions. The same applies to a lot of other things in life, including human connection, which also means including our relationship with children. Theories are great, but knowing the different names of hormones and different parts of a child's brain will not help you in the middle of a conflict when you are seriously questioning why you ever chose to become a parent. In this situation, you have to go back to the principles. So, let's get on to the first principle, the first pillar. I will save my opinion, my words about it for next week. For today, I want to offer it to you and I want to invite you to let it marinate in your mind and in your heart for the next seven days. Even if at first glance you want to reject it and you are convinced it is absolutely false, just let the idea exist in your world for now. You don't have to believe it yet, just let it be there. If the words seem cryptic, no problem. Reread it a few times and like I said, just let it be there. This idea is not new and it certainly did not come from me. It exists in different versions, but this version by Khalil Gibran, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, is what I chose because it's very short, but very beautifully written and very, very profound. Here we go. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children, as living arrows, are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. That's it for this week. I'm going to add a link to this poem in the show notes so you can come back to it as often as you wish. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Bye! Bye!